on December, in December 1903, after uh, many attempts, the Wright brothers, you know who the Wright brothers are? First, uh, hopefully none of you knew them, you'd really be uh, pretty old, but, but the Wright brothers uh, who flew the first uh, airplane, manned airplane, in December of 1903, after many attempts, the Wright brothers were successful in getting their, what they called their flying machine off the ground. And they telegraphed, telegraph was the email and Twitter and Facebook of its day, they telegraphed this message to their sister Catherine with this message, quote, we have actually flown 120 feet, we'll be home for Christmas. So Catherine hurried down to the editor of the local newspaper with this tremendous earth-shattering message of advancement in technology and would change the world. She hurried down to the editor of the newspaper and showed him the message. He glanced at it and said, how nice, the boys will be home for Christmas. (laughs) Totally missing the real story that two men or one man had flown in an airplane, which may not seem like a big deal to us today, but in that day, that was the moon landing and Mars, you know, that was everything rolled into that. And so in our hectic Christmas journeys uh, with this season, family and malls and uh, now online and parties, and uh, it's easy for us to miss the real story, the meaning of what we are in, the season we're in about Christ. We miss the Christmas journey. And in the next uh, four Sundays, or the upcoming three, and today included, uh, I want to talk about this, uh, do a series called uh, The Christmas Journey. And I'm going to go backwards, and then on the 23rd, we're going to do it on December, today's the 2nd, the 9th, and uh, the, the 23rd uh, will uh, end it right before Christmas, and we're going to end it with Jesus and the journey from the cradle to the cross, and the reason for that was that was in order to redeem a people. That will be the last Sunday before Christmas. On the 16th, we will uh, look at the journey of Jesus from heaven to earth. And why was that? Was Jesus' journey from heaven to earth was to reveal God. And then next Sunday on the 9th, we'll look at the journey of the wise men who traveled from the east to Israel, and their purpose was to revere a king, to revere a king, to worship a king. But this morning, we begin our journey with Mary and Joseph and their journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And why why was that? What was their journey significant? was to receive Christ, to receive Christ. So if you want to turn in your Bibles or direct your attention to the screen, we're going to read from Luke 1 through 7. And look at that as our primary passage, and uh, I'm using the NIV this morning, and I'll direct your attention to the screen if you, uh, that's easier for you. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. That wasn't necessarily the entire world, but the Roman world that they dominated geographically. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, 
And everyone went to his own town to register for this census. And failure to do so, the penalty was quite severe. So Joseph also went up from the town of where? Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David. Why? Because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because, as you know, what? There was no room for them in the inn. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would, Lord, just give us a fresh, Lord, uh, renewed encouragement by your word today. Lord, as we talk about this journey, our journeys of life, our own journey, but Lord, as we begin this journey with Mary and Joseph, let us not, Lord, be over-familiar, but God, through your Holy Spirit, give us fresh eyes, God, that we may draw strength and encouragement by the very words of God that we have before us in the Bible as we recount, Lord, not only the story, but God, your word to us today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Some questioned uh, exactly how long Mary had lived in Nazareth, um, or if Joseph had ever lived there or uh, before being told of Mary's pregnancy. But verse 4, I don't, I don't have the verses up there, but verse 4 uh, is clear that by the, the census that they were to take, they were both living at this time in the town of Nazareth and left Nazareth to travel to Bethlehem. And again, we know that, but they're both at this time in the city of Nazareth. Now, we don't know exactly what route they took. There's a little map that tried to put on there to give you a little indication. Uh, we don't really know the exact route, and just uh, you see Nazareth uh, up at the top and Bethlehem there in the south. If they uh, were to take the shorter, may not look exactly short on here, but it was a much more demanding, more dangerous walk, that would have been that red line where they would have left Nazareth, traveled through Samaria to go down to Bethlehem. That could have been an option. We don't really exactly know. That would have been uh, shorter but more dangerous to walk through the center of the region through Samaria. Or they could have take, take, taken the longer path. That's that black line there on the uh, right side. Uh, and that would have been a flatter way as far as the typography, and they would have traveled a longer way, but it might have been a little easier as they traveled along in that blue there is along the uh, Jordan River Valley. But regardless of how or what route they took, can you imagine, ladies, she was pregnant. Men, I want you to say pregnant. Ladies, get it. Men, pregnant. Traveling 90 miles, not in a uh, SUV. But 90 miles, and we actually have a, one of the rare photographs on that graphic there. You see her on the, the donkey. That's, that's a real one of her Facebook posts. But uh, imagine pregnant being in a vehicle, but riding on any animal. 
Right? Hello? I mean, that's just... I mean, I may not get a lot of things, but I get that. Uh, 90 miles probably took about a week. And again, we don't know the route they took or the journey they took, but it certainly was a long path. Now, again, they began this journey where? In what city? Nazareth, okay? Uh, At this point in history, Nazareth was a despised city of little to no importance among the cities of Israel. Their population was probably about uh, under 400, uh, likely was a city that was populated by mostly poor people that might even be, been uh, servants to other communities around them. It was certainly not a place of prominence that people went to live. Nazareth isn't even mentioned in the Old Testament. The Hebrew, the Talmud, which is a collections of the rabbinical writings, uh, lists 43 different cities in the region of Galilee, and guess what town they leave out? Man, it's bigger, you know, we don't need to bother with those people. Uh, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, notes 45 different townships uh, in that region, but he himself doesn't mention Nazareth. Now, I might mention a few communities around us, but I would be offending somebody if I talked about some area. You know, we have that in our, we're like, oh, they live out by so-and-so. They live in this place or that place. We do the same thing. Uh, And so there was certainly not a prominent place given to the city of Nazareth. If you remember in uh, John chapter 1, when uh, he told uh, 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 foresaw about Nathaniel, one of the men who would later become one of his disciples. Uh, and uh, Nathaniel responded to Philip when Philip said that they had found the Messiah. And they found the Messiah, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response in John chapter 1, verse 45 and 46, again, it's not on the screen, but you're probably familiar with it. Uh, Nathaniel, when he heard Philip say, we found Jesus of Nazareth, he's the Messiah. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, you got to be kidding me. This is where the Messiah, the king who's going to restore Israel, he lives in Kathleen? <laughs> That's no pun on Kathleen. I'm even further beyond Kathleen, so... Us Kathleenites got to stick together. You know where downtown Kathleen is. It's Nick and Moe's, right? That's where City Hall is. And Nazareth. What can anything good come out of Nazareth? And just from a symbolic sense this morning, not to make any kind of hermeneutical interpretation, but just in a symbolic way. Nazareth represents us before Christ in just a symbolic way. Yeah, we're talking about a journey we're going to take in a little bit. Nazareth represents us before Christ. Uh, Before Christ, we didn't have any significance. We were in spiritual poverty. We were servants to the old nature, the old way, 
Uh, we did not have any real distinction or direction or purpose or fulfillment. Just as the literal Nazareth was insignificant and certainly an outcast township, our spiritual condition before Christ was very similar in our own spiritual poverty. But Nazareth is also symbolic of the place where things begin to change, where things begin to change. It's this morning as we talk about this Christmas journey, it's the starting place where we begin the journey to Bethlehem, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. That's the destination. Bethlehem, the city of David, a house of bread. Its importance and significance was, 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 was baked into the history of Israel because of its significance to whom it was attached to, and that was the city of David, the hometown of King David. But there was going to be one that would be brought forth that would be greater than King David. Amen? And that's Jesus. Nazareth, interesting from the Hebrew word, means branch or shoot. And there's a prophetic scripture in Isaiah 11 about Jesus being like a branch or a shoot that would come forth. Micah 5 2 says this, interestingly, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little, this is the destination from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Micah 5 2 prophetically says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth are from old from everlasting. So Bethlehem has certain prophetic significance, and that's the goal. It's the starting point uh, or the end where we leave our Nazareth and we travel to Bethlehem. And today, if you have not made the spiritual journey from from Nazareth to Bethlehem, then this morning I want to encourage you to notice in this journey, the journey that God puts before us to have a relationship with with Christ, to come to our Bethlehem, to come to not just a house of bread, but come to the one who is the very bread of life, who is the king that we celebrate, not only this month, but every month. And if you've already made this journey, then these steps, I hope, are reminders of the journey that we take every day as we continue in this relationship of growing in Christ. Notice with me the first step in this journey of Joseph and Mary. The first step they took was they had to hear the word. If they're going to receive Christ, they heard the word. And in Luke chapter 1, I'm just going to, 1 verses 26 through 37, I'm not going to read all those. I've kind of edited it. It should be on there on the screen. In the sixth month, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to where? Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. And then we'll skip some verses. And then the Bible says, 
that the Holy Spirit, the angel said, will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. For nothing, say nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Now, most Bible scholars and teachers believe that this encounter that Mary had uh, took place near a spring in Nazareth, and perhaps Mary had gone there to draw some water. Uh, And notice that just as uh, God, through this angelic messenger, just as though God wanted to remind Mary that he had a plan for for her life, that God had a purpose for her life, so too, I believe, this morning, it's fair that we can remind ourselves that God has a purpose and a plan for our life and that he wants to accomplish this plan in us. Sometimes when we're discouraged, we forget that. We forget that not only did God save us, but God purposed us. The Bible talks about uh, what it calls election. God knew us and chose us. Ephesians 1 says that God chose us before the foundations of the world, before the world was ever laid. God chose a people to himself. And if God chose a people to himself, God chose a people to himself with a plan and a purpose, just like he did with Mary here. And notice it also says to Mary, and a reminder for us as we begin this journey to receive Christ, is the angel said, do not be afraid. Why do you think she said, the angel said, do not be afraid? Probably because what? Mary was afraid, right? You're, you're, you're catching on. You're doing good. Uh, it says, do not be afraid. I love this. You have found favor with God. Now, there wasn't anything inherent in Mary that found favor with God, just any more than there's anything in us that finds the favor of God. The favor of God is the blessing of God, but it's also the grace of God. That's something that God gives. That's God gives us in spite of the fact that we have no favor. Just as us pre-coming to faith in Christ and receiving Jesus Christ for ourselves as we begin this journey out of Nazareth, that God has given us favor. He's extended the grace of God for us to receive. The Bible says that no one needs to fear or avoid God because God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet estranged from him, while we were yet sinners, what? God demonstrated that love by Christ dying for us. That was before you thought, you know, there's this mindset that I need to get my life together before I have a relationship with God. Well, here's a little tip. You can't do that. And even if you thought you could, it would be meaningless because the only thing uh, good in us as a believer is Christ in us. The only thing that you bring to God is your sin, is your brokenness, is our disobedience. And God says that he demonstrated, he gave action to his love that while we were yet in that most unlovely condition, God set his love upon us. The Bible says in Romans 5.20, But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. To quote the prophet Isaiah again in Isaiah 118, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God's cleansing, not by self-works, 
not by things that we do, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what the angel of the Lord, the messenger of God, told Mary? How was this going to happen? She said, how can this be? This is, this is, you know, this is impossible. But the, the Lord said through this angel that the Holy Spirit will be the creative work in your life. And the same is true with the unbeliever. The Holy Spirit is the regenerating power that takes a man or a woman from death to life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told Nicodemus about being born again. And Nicodemus, like a good man, said, how's that going to work? You know, you're talking about babies and pregnancies and born again, and how do I enter my uh, mother's womb again and all that? And here was Jesus' point in John 3. Now, if you've ever watched a sports event, you know John 3.16 at least, right? So how can this, you know, he's, it's impossible. What Jesus' point was being, just as you had no response, just as you could not birth yourself, and that's impossible, so in the same way, you can't spiritually birth yourself. It's a work of God from beginning to end. We call that regeneration. That's a work of God through the Spirit of God. Titus 3.5 reminds us, That God has saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul would remind us also in Romans 8, 11, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies, life to your immortal bodies, how? Through his spirit who lives in you. And certainly we could say uh, with the angel, for nothing is impossible with God. No one's seeking God. No one's seeking God's grace. No one here today needing the mercy and grace of God will God not hear that cry for God's mercy and grace. To say, is there anything God can't do? He, yes, he cannot not hear the prayer, and the cry of those who call after him. He can't do that. He is a gracious God. That would have been a good place to say amen, by the way. But also, Joseph, in Matthew 1, takes two to tango, so we got Mary traveling, but Joseph, uh, he himself had to hear the word. He had to hear the word. Look at Matthew 1. It'll be on the screen. Matthew 1 18 through 21, again, using the NIV this morning. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, and that's a nice way to say, before they had a sexual union, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, consistent with the other gospel writer of Luke. And because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Now, again, we've taught on this before, but they were pledged to be married, and it's a little bit more than an engagement, okay? It It was in the legal sense, it had a legal bearing in the Jewish community of actually being married in a legal sense, but they were not formalized in a marriage relationship. It was not consummated by the 
through the ceremony. So somebody was, was pledged to be married. It was a legal binding, dare I say, contract in the Jewish community, uh, not just, you know, went down the case, Julie got a ring and took it back three months later, I'm engaged with somebody, you know, this crazy way that we do this thing, right? Uh, this, was a, this was a legal thing in the eyes of the law, and it bore the weight of legality, even though they were not uh, sexually involved with each other, they were still pledged, or Mary was pledged, that Joseph was as good as her husband, and he, uh, as a wife, in the eyes of the community, in the eyes of the law, and of course, it would follow with the whole marriage ceremony and celebration that would be to follow there, okay? So that's just a little commentary there. So that's the reason it's kind of a big deal, the fact that she was pledged to be married to Joseph before they came together, before they consummated their marriage physically, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Huh. What did you say, Mary? What, what's going on now? Why can't you come over tonight? I mean, what's, what? You're, you're what? And not only I'm pregnant, that's kind of a big deal, right? But pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And again, Joseph was a righteous man, the Bible says, and that's why he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He could have. And he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now you see why it uses the word divorce, because there is a legality in this pledging, in this betrothal, contractual relationship in the Jewish community that he didn't want to divorce her because that would have been a legal proceeding, even though they had not yet gone through the entire ceremony. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Now, here's another opportunity. Why did he say don't be afraid? Yeah, big time, right? Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you, Papa, earthly Papa, is to give him the name Jesus because he will, not hopes to, he will save his people from their sins. We'll probably look at that verse the last on the 23rd. Now, what I love about this, men and women, uh, is the fact that he had his mind kind of made up in the direction he was going. But isn't it great that sometimes God changes your mind? And it's something, I mean, if I talk you into something, there'll be somebody better, way better, that could come along and talk you out of it or talk you into something else. But when the Holy Spirit changes your mindset, right, and God gives you that word that this, this is the direction I'm to go, this is what I am to do, even though it's a complete paradigm shift from what I had made up my mind to do, and God changed Joseph's wrong perceptions. And there are people who have even very sincere understandings about God, about what it means to follow Christ. They are sincere, but they are wrong if they believe that I, uh, as long as, you know, I'm a good moral person. 
I do good things. I go to church once a month. I buy Girl Scout cookies. I, I rescue a pet every once in a while. I mean, whatever it is, you're a good person. But that does not do anything before the throne of God's justice because there's only one who can make a way. There's only one who makes legal amends to our problem before God, and that's Christ. Um, and so Joseph said, or the angel told Joseph that there's something that you need to, you need to change your perception about what's going on here. I'm, I'm involved in this Joseph, and here's what you're going to do. And just as Joseph demonstrated hearing the word by casting aside his fear and heard the word, so God wants us to do today to understand and hear the word that as was explained to Joseph and as we connect it, that saving you from your sins is Jesus' priority in coming to us. Us having a relationship that is offered by God through Christ, that's Jesus' priority. His priority was not to make you rich. By the way, we have no problem with richness around here, so we encourage rich people to give richly, right? So I'm not discouraging that. But that wasn't Jesus' priority. He wasn't, you know, there's all sorts of baggage we attach to the gospel, but his purpose in coming, what did he tell Joseph? You will give, his, you will give this son the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. It's a message that I've preached. I'm not sure if I preached here. Maybe I did. I'm getting here long enough that if I don't write notes down, you might hear, a, you might hear it again. If I, I'm, sometimes I'll start to preach. I'll be working on something, and I'll look back, try to go trace it back where I wrote it down. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I preached that three years ago, and I'm thinking it's fresh. I don't even, you know, so don't, you don't offend me if, I, if you don't remember what I preached last week. Sometimes I can't even remember what I preached last week, let alone uh, two years ago. But what was Jesus' priority? It was to save us from our sins. See, no one receives, no one receives Christ no one begins the journey from their Nazareth in a relationship with him unless it first begins by hearing the word. Joseph and Mary heard the word of the Lord. Now, that would be great, but how many of you realize that hearing the word is just the first step of our journey? There's a second step, and being in good Baptist tradition, I had to find an H, and I found the word not only hear, but to heed the word, to heed the word. How many of you know what to heed something? It means essentially what? To believe, to give, to obey, right? All right? So they had to heed the word. They only heard it, but they had to obey the word. Faith without works is what? It's dead. It's meaningless. It's not enough just to hear it. You've got to obey it. You've got to heed the word. And so Mary and Joseph did what? They, as they began this journey, and as we begin our journey spiritually from Nazareth to Bethlehem to receive Christ, Mary and Joseph acted. They heeded the word on what they heard in full obedience and faith. Look at verse, um, 
38 of Luke 1, Mary, what was her response? She says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered what? May it be to me as you have said. What a great prayer. God, let it be to me what your word says. That's a good prayer to pray every day, isn't it? And then the angel left her. His work was done. She's going to obey. She's going to follow. Now, Mary knew she was conversant with the law. She was conversant with obvious Jewish legal issues in society. Even though they were under Roman domination, they would try to, for the most part, they'd let the Jews govern and rule and handle their own laws. And as a reason, Pilate was kind of frustrated getting involved in what he considered to be a manner among the religious people and crucifying Jesus. Uh, but he just did it to kind of keep the peace. And, but Mary knew the law. She knew that Joseph had a legal right. Remember, he didn't want to divorce her. It wasn't like he just could tell her to, you know, kind of the old John Mellencamp song, hey, hit the highway, you know. I know that dates some of us, all right, some of, maybe three of us. But uh, it was a legal problem. She knew the legalities, and he could have not only gone through a legal divorce, but because of the, the shame and the, what would be perceived by most people, she's pregnant while she's pledged to Joseph, and it's not his. Oh, now we got a big issue, right? And so under the Jewish legal system, not only could he have legally divorced her, but he could have had her publicly stoned and killed for adultery. And yet Mary says, may it be to me as you have said. Did she know everything that was to take place? Probably not. But at that moment in time, she knew that if this is what God said, she knew enough to know this was not going to be received by just anybody. Imagine the conversation at the Starbucks in Nazareth. Oh, see, and Joseph moved up the timetable, eh? No, I'm uh, pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, see, we say that like, oh, that sounds so spiritual. Can we just, was it Joan Rivers said, can we talk? That's crazy. That's crazy. Unless it's true, right? Unless it's real, and it's real. She knew enough, at least in the immediate, to know that if I accept this assignment, not everybody's going to get it. Isn't that true? When we make a commitment to follow Christ, not everybody gets it. And nobody's going to understand why you make certain choices to do things that might be you, they find perfectly acceptable. Sometimes a loss of reputation or friends when the king of glory is living in your heart. I love Hebrews 2.11. The Bible speaks about Jesus that both the one who makes men holy and women holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers, sisters. When we... Heed the word. We're obeying the word of one who understood the consequences 
of obedience. And certainly Jesus, our example. But notice Joseph had his own choice to make. In Hebrews, I'm sorry, Matthew 1, verse 24 and 25, that when Joseph woke up from that dream, when God talked to him in that dream, what was his response? It says he did. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. Now think about the tall order that Mary had, but imagine in a male-dominated culture and society, imagine the tall order of obedience that he had to have when it just says kind of, oh, and he did what the Lord commanded. Oh, isn't that nice? But think about the ramifications, the stigma to continue in a marriage to a woman that everybody looked and scorned and thought, what a chump he is. That's Aramaic, chump. Boy, she cheats on him. And he's a, the Bible says that he's a righteous man. He's a godly man. He's a man of character. But what changed his mind? The word of the Lord. He heard the word of the Lord. What will change our mind to do things that'll be tough? That might cut off a relationship. That might cut off a business dealing. That might cut off something in which there's real consequences. It's when the God speaks to us through his word and and we make this journey and realize that this journey isn't always easy. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, everyone who believes. There's also this thought about Mary and Joseph when they heed the word, when they obeyed the word, is their decision to obey God's word. This was wholehearted. This wasn't fingers crossed behind my back. This wasn't like, try it, you'll like it. Remember that commercial? So, try it, Mikey, you'll like it. This isn't the way it works. It was wholehearted. She was all in. Joseph was all in in heeding the word. And just as the same way as we make our route in obedience from Nazareth, we hear the word. We heed the word, and thirdly, we need to handle the word. In Luke 2, 7, handle the word. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them at the end. To do these, she handled the incarnate word. She handled it. She nursed him. She held him. This wasn't just, this was a child of, again, how much she understood, we don't really know. And don't let movies build your theology. You just, you don't know. But she knew enough to know that God spoke. She knew that she became pregnant and she was a virgin. And she knew that she was nursing this little baby. 
And yes, Jesus had to have diapers changed. That may blow your theology, but he was, he was a real person. He wasn't some ghost. He wasn't some outer space alien. He was a real human being, fully God, not half God, half man, fully God, fully man, fully created, but without sin, the Bible tells us. She handled him. She nursed him. She held him. She changed him. She taught him. You see, as we depart from Nazareth, just like Joseph and Mary, it wasn't a one-time trip to Bethlehem, been there, done that, and what? Got the T-shirt. We're done with that. Put that in our little religious category. Put that on the shelf. Boy, wasn't that cool. No, this was an ongoing relationship with this child. Jesus was not a one-time trip to Bethlehem, but was rather brought into the center of everyday life of Mary and Joseph. Doesn't he want us does he want for us, for him to be the very center of our life where we handle, if we could use that phrase, handle and experience Christ every day? Not just some little trip to Bethlehem and, yeah, we walked the aisle and said a prayer, filled out a card, but I really don't have, I didn't, I really don't have Jesus in the center of my life. They took the baby home. They made a home. He grew up in their home. He grew in wisdom and stature, the Bible says. We don't, the last time we see anything about Joseph was when uh, they were at the temple when Jesus was probably about 12 years of age. And you remember there was a great throng of people and they left and were heading back home? Was it a day or two or something like that? I didn't reference. And they realized they had left their son, that should give hope to parents. Every parent should have that passage. You know, in other words, where's Jesus? I don't know. I thought he was with you. I thought he was with me. You all were out doing it. Well, I, I don't know. Where, I mean, where is he? And they start, I just want to know those religious teachers when they came back and Excuse me. And Jesus is doing what? He's astounding them with wisdom, the Bible says. We don't have a lot. In fact, that's about all about the, with Jesus as a child. Don't believe this nonsense on the Discovery Channel and the Gnostic Gospels. Nobody believes any of that stuff. Even reputable scholars that aren't necessarily conservative Christians, they don't even buy into that nonsense about Jesus' stories about him being a little boy and making birds out of mud and all that craziness. <laughs> No, that's, that's some of that nonsense in there, okay? Don't get fascinated. Don't waste your brain power on garbage. I'm serious. We don't have a lot of evidence, but we do have evidence that Mary and Joseph, they handled the word. They handled this promise, and he was incorporated into their life. They had him circumcised and presented at the temple they protected him for a time by taking him to Egypt when Herod was killing all the, the male babies. And they took him to the temple when he was a boy, what I was referencing to. And there, you could even say that there's maybe a hand about, of course, being a good a dad, uh, Joseph taught him. And what I started to say was that Joseph and Mary, Joseph, in Scripture, when Jesus is at the temple and they leave him and come back, that's the last time or the last reference we have 
of Joseph in Jesus' life. So the assumption is, remember when Jesus was crucified and he basically turned to John and, and, you know, about take care of my mother, that Joseph was not around. So it may, most people assume that Joseph, his earthly father, his earthly father, his stepfather, we could say it that way, uh, somewhere probably died when he was a young man. But the folks, when Jesus would preach and come back to the hometown in the synagogue, and they would say, wait a minute, who is this? Isn't he that carpenter's son? Because being the oldest son in the family, he probably inherited and took up the, what? The family business. And there wasn't like power tools and power saws. I mean, Jesus, as some emaciated person on the cross, he was a physical I mean, if he's building tables and chairs and houses and with his bare hands and cutting wood and shaving wood, you know, I mean, he was, he was a man's man. Is that okay to say in our feminine culture? Is that okay to say he's a man's man? Does that offend people? Well, listen, that the Bible, he was a man's man. And by the way, he was a M-A-N, man, okay? There are men and women, okay? God made them that way, Right? In case you haven't, don't let the culture, who is it now, Google or Twitter, is now going to take people off if they use male or female gender terms. And Oh, my goodness. You think it's crazy? It gets crazier every day. That has nothing to do with anything. And Look at this scripture. Well... We'll bring it in for a landing. First John 1 1. You have to excuse me. I'm hopped up on cold medicine and my brain is uh, struggling to keep up with my mouth. You say, well, what else is new, right? First John 1 1. Take that man out. First John 1 1. Look at this. Look at this. We're talking about handling the word. They heard the word. They heeded the word, and they handled the word. Look at this. I love this. Apostle John wrote this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. They're talking about their, as disciples, apostles, relationship, which we have looked upon, and our hands have what? Handled concerning the word of life. John is saying, when he wrote 1 John 1, 1, and he's defending Christ, he's saying, look, this isn't just some figment of our imagination. We heard Jesus. We've seen him with our eyes. We've looked at him, and we have handled, we have touched him. Thomas would say, I even put my finger through his hand. And you ask us, is he real? Is he real? All these men were martyrs for their commitment to Christ. They were killed because of their relationship to Jesus Christ, and there's not one testimony among the 12 apostles that right before they were either beheaded or like Peter crucified upside down or what are the various ways that they sought to kill him. There's no one iota evidence of any of them saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, you got us. We made it up. His body is in Epaphroditus's garage or whatever. And I'm trying to be funny. I'm just saying... That was the accusation among the religious folks that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. Remember that? People don't die for things they know are not true. It doesn't make sense. 
Why did they die? Because we've heard him. We've seen him. We've touched him. We've handled him. We know this is real. Is Jesus real to you this morning? Don't stay in Nazareth. There's nothing in Nazareth. The promise is in the house of David. The promise is in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph heard the word. They heeded the word. They handled the word. And if you've never made that journey from the emptiness of a life without God in Nazareth, to use that symbolically, to receiving Jesus as the bread of life, I encourage you this morning, begin that journey. Simply, Jesus says, believe in me. Believe on me. Hear the word. Heed the word. Handle the word. A girl of, 10-year-old girl, went with a group of family and friends to see the Christmas lights displayed at various locations around the city. We used to do that. I remember there was this owner of this uh, uh, television uh, where they sold TVs, Aldridge TV. And when I was a little kid, it was one of the neighborhoods that we got in a, our station wagon and drove by the Aldridge's because he went all out, had movies playing. And now this is in the dark ages, you know, in the 60s. So you have to humor, you know, some of you know those dark ages. You know, somebody showing a movie outside, whoa, that's really high tech. That's great. And so they went to see these Christmas lights and Christmas displays at various locations around the city. And at one church, they stopped and looked to see more closely at this beautifully done nativity scene. Isn't that beautiful, said the little girl's grandmother. Look at all the animals. And there's Mary, and there's Joseph, and the baby Jesus. And the granddaughter said, well, yes, Grandma, it is, it is beautiful. It's really nice, but there's only one thing that bothers me. Isn't the baby Jesus ever going to grow up? He's the same size he was last year. Is Jesus the same size to you as he was last year or the year before? Or when you think of Jesus, he's grown. He's more beautiful. He's more magnificent. He's more glorious. He's more meaningful in your life than he was last year. What do we call that? We call that growing in Christ. Don't stay in Nazareth. Whether you've never made the track or you've made it before, don't go back to Nazareth. The promise is in the place where the bread of life is, the house of David. Jesus, the Messiah.